She was known as the Apostle to the Apostles, the one whom Jesus loved more than the disciples, the first witness to the resurrection of the Christ. These are all identities given to a woman so deeply ingrained in Christianity that the amount of falsehoods about her life far outnumber the facts. Though only mentioned briefly in the Gospels, she has sparked countless stories, doctrines, and other ideologies that the church has tried to suppress and mold but have yet been unable to. Who is this woman that held such esteem with Jesus Christ himself? Her name is Mary, Mary of Magdala, but we most likely know her by her simplified name, Mary Magdalene. This is Itinerant, Biblical History Beyond the Bible, presented by The Reckless Pursuit, and I'm Cody Johnston. Around 30 AD, if you were to travel up the western coast of the Sea of Galilee, you would soon come into a village by the name Magdala Nunaya, that is, the Tower of the Fish, a name given most likely due to the large fish processing plant it held in its walls. At one point along his journey, Jesus found himself right here in this very village. Maybe he had a good day out fishing for men and needed to process his current haul. Okay, I know. That joke was terrible. We don't quite know when along the journey Jesus came to Magdala, or when he met the woman Mary, but we do know that when upon meeting her, there was a great work in need of doing. Given the other accounts in the Gospels, I can only assume that someone came to Jesus and asked, that he would heal this woman, who scripture says was plagued by seven demons. Some scholars speculate it took seven exorcisms to finally have it stick, though I'd be hard up to believe the Son of God couldn't do it with just a simple command. The Roman Catholic Church once touted that the seven demons were in fact the precursors to the seven deadly sins, and they lived inside her. Others hold to the belief that Mary was plagued by depression and panic attacks. No matter the cause, it is said that these demons were cast out of her, and because of her newfound freedom, she dedicated her life as a companion to Christ, a companion that would become closer than any other disciple, a companion that made the others, especially Simon Peter, one of the closest of Jesus' disciples, ripe with jealousy. Leave it to a woman to stir up the hearts of man. We don't know much about Mary's backstory, other than her hometown, her possession, and that she was most likely loaded. I mean, like seriously wealthy. It is said that she and a few other women of faith funded Jesus' entire ministry. Modern churches would change their doctrines to appease someone of this much wealth. It would be like someone handing you a blank check to fund your life's work, no strings attached. Obviously, this was a woman of stature in society, but that's sadly not how many of us view her. 
When most of us think of Mary Magdalene, we think of a reformed prostitute. A Proverbs 5 turned 31 kind of woman, if you know what I mean. But that's not who she was at all. That's a falsehood worked up through the many efforts of misinterpretation, confusion with other similarly named Marys of Bethany, a bit of misogyny thrown in for good measure, and a speech by Pope Gregory made in 591 AD that finally put the misidentification in writing. So how did such a huge mischaracterization even happen? Well, Mary is a common name, even in this time. But in the ancient Jewish culture, it was THE most popular name given to women. We know of three Marys that were directly involved in Jesus' ministry alone. I'm hopeful that it was a simple mischaracterization that coupled with the desire to identify with a woman who won over the heart of Christ after turning from such a dark past can inspire a new sense of hope and longing. But if we took a moment to look at things a bit more simplistically, we would quickly find the truth. With so many Marys running around, the writers of the Gospels had to characterize this one a little differently. They had to give her a title to help her stand out from the crowd. So that is exactly what was given to her. You see, as we stated earlier, Magdala means tower, and that is what Mary was. A tower over the waters that was meant to stand tall for all to see. Think John 3.16. Sadly, we often glance over titles in favor of names, and before you know it, rumors become so ingrained that they are seen as truths. We just talked about how Mary was a leading financial contributor to the ministry of Jesus, but that is just the tip of the iceberg. Mary was so much more than just a deep wallet. She was a disciple, even though we might not officially give her that title. Though she is only mentioned briefly, she is the only one of Jesus' disciples to stay by his side through his ministry, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. Even when all the other disciples turned away and went back to their normal mundane lives as if nothing at all had happened, she still remained ever faithful by the tomb. It's as if the disciples' candles all burned out, but Mary still sat there holding her torch. And that's good for us, because without her, there's a good chance that the most compelling part of the gospel would not exist today. It was she that Jesus chose to reveal himself to upon the resurrection. It was she that took that hope that flame and ignited a revolution that would sweep the world over. It is said that an angel first came to Mary because she knew Jesus' teachings better than anyone and trusted him in a way the rest could only hope to one day achieve. She knew his ways well, and she adored Christ. You see, Mary and Jesus were as close as two people could be. Some might say they were even a bit too close for comfort. If you have ever read Dan Brown's bestseller, The Da Vinci Code, you might already be familiar with the seemingly heretical notion that Jesus had a wife. 
It is commonly believed that Jesus having no sin would never have had sexual relations and that it would have violated the principles of redemption. And let's not even get started on the idea of a lineage of people that are of direct descent from the bloodline of Christ himself. There's enough people in the world who think they're better than someone else. Let's not give them any extra ammo. But to fully explore Mary of Magdala's story, we have to at least understand where such claims come from. In the Gospel of Philip, it is stated that there are three who walked with the Lord regularly. Mary his mother, his sister, and Mary of Magdala, his companion. This is where things start to get a bit muddy. The word companion, translated from its Greek roots, can have two possible meanings. It seems to be primarily used for the pairing of a man and a woman in marriage or sexual intercourse, but it has also been used metaphorically to show a form of spiritual bond. And then we can look at John 20, when the now risen Savior asks Mary by the tomb, Woman, why are you still weeping? The word used for woman can also mean wife. Then she reaches for him and cries out to him and he responds by asking her not to hold on to him at that time. In that time, it was common for rabbis to have spouses. It would not have been out of the ordinary if Jesus did, in fact, have Mary Magdalene as his bride. In all honesty, I don't think it would even water down the gospel. There's no sin in taking a wife, and despite Paul's haphazard nudge toward celibacy, Jesus never gave us a reason to pursue the bachelor lifestyle. But all of this is speculative. For every ounce of evidence we have that might add some form of weight to the notion of Mary being the wife of Jesus, we have an equal if not greater weight saying the opposite. I think it's safe to say that Mary was most likely not Jesus' bride, but if she was, it's not that big of a plot twist to throw off the story. But for now, we will give the bride-to-be status to the church and let that one rest. As we've seen thus far, Mary Magdalene has inspired quite a few other writings throughout history. Though she is only briefly mentioned in the Gospels, and then her accounts seem to abruptly stop in the Book of Acts, that doesn't mean her influence stopped there too. If we allow our minds to explore beyond the words and actually place ourselves back to the early formation of the church, I'm sure we could all agree that Mary didn't just disappear. Someone with such a closeness to the Savior would have a lot to say about his church. It's safe to assume she was indeed still there, carrying out his will after his ascension. And if we take a look at the apocryphal writings, we might see just that. It's important to remember that what we are about to talk about are not considered canon in most Christian theology, but I'm not for leaving any stone unturned, so let's take a look at some of these less known writings and see what they hold. In the Gospel of Thomas, saying number 114, Simon Peter, the one who was most jealous of Mary, declared to the others that Mary should be dismissed from them, for women are, quote, not worthy of eternal life. Jesus followed saying, Behold, I shall lead her, that I might make her male, 
in order that she also may become a living spirit like you males. For every woman who makes herself male shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Scholars do believe some of what is said in the Gospel of Thomas are in fact truthful words of Jesus, and before we get too worked up, let's remember that Jesus wouldn't have been saying that women need to become men, he was merely stating that in Christ all people can have eternal life and are equal in the eyes of God. It's safe to say Jesus was a bit more egalitarian than Paul. There's another apocryphal text that I feel needs to be looked at further, and that's the Gospel of Mary. The Gospel of Mary is the only surviving gospel ever named after a woman. And while Mary Magdalene herself didn't pen this document, considering it was written a century or so after her death, it is written about Mary. The author of this text remains anonymous, but it openly states its intent to give account to Mary's life, not impersonate her writings. The main surviving text comes from ancient Egyptian Coptic translation conserved within a 5th century manuscript. Most of the document has been lost to us, but we are fortunate enough to have a few of the original Greek fragments to give the translation a bit of validity. In Mary's Gospel, it speaks of her joy in becoming truly human. When hearing this, Peter asked her to share what the Lord had revealed to her in private. She then spoke to them of her visions shared with her from the Lord, and exclaimed how the inner self is composed of a soul, a spirit, and a third mind that rests between the two. Peter, upon hearing this, rebuked Mary for spreading teachings that were far from what Jesus had previously taught. He angrily rebuked her, mocking the idea that Christ would share such information behind their backs. But it is said that Levi, one of the other disciples, came to Mary's defense, and that Peter raged with jealousy. Gnosticism, that is the early Judeo-Christian belief in a lesser god of creation, and that all physical is bad and all spiritual is good, actually pays tribute to Mary Magdalene in many of its beliefs, as a founding figurehead of the movement. Rooted in ancient Egyptian beliefs of creation and trickling down through its Jewish descent, it's easy to see how a woman as close to the Savior as Mary would influence an entire sect of people, and how some of what was written about her could influence so many minds. But despite these books containing so much about Mary, it's hard to know what's truth and what's fabricated. This was a time when a religious boom was at the cusp. Most of these texts contradict not just our Bible, but themselves as well. And while it's good to know the other views of Mary, it's just as good to know that not everything we see can be taken at face value. But Mary didn't just influence the Gnostics, she influenced the Christian church as well. And to me, that's where her true character shines through. Think about it. This is a woman who, due to her faith, ushered in the news of a resurrected savior. Unafraid, she was willing to proclaim what could only sound like madness to most. Her willingness to stay with Jesus until his final breath. Her sorrow and reverence to sit by his tomb. 
her joy to proclaim his new life. These are all the characteristics that the disciples would go on to preach, and without Mary, many of them would have just went back to their daily grind. It's truly amazing how quickly we can forget, isn't it? But not Mary. She was faithful till the end and helped drive the final nail into the death itself, fulfilling the prophecies of old and ushering in a time of forgiveness and grace for all. If Jesus' death was the wind that would push the church forward, Mary Magdalene was the mastman raising the sails, and she fulfilled her destiny flawlessly, just as the Creator knew she would. There are even some texts that state after the resurrection, she might have even traveled to Rome to minister to the Emperor Tiberius on the church's behalf. It is said that she approached him holding an egg in her hand and declared, Christ is risen! To which Tiberius laughingly replied, Christ rising from the dead is as likely as that egg in your hand turning red while you hold it. But before the emperor could finish speaking, the egg did in fact turn red, and Mary went on to proclaim the good news to the entire household. In the Eastern Orthodox Church, they actually have a folk festival where they dye eggs in remembrance of this very occasion, especially on Easter, the day Mary proclaimed the first good news. In the Roman Catholic Church, she's deemed as a saint. She's the apostle of the apostles. She is the foremother to all missionaries, and her story teaches us the importance that every person plays in the heart of Christ. She was a beacon showing the early church that women and men are equal, even in a society that viewed women as lesser than to men. She showed the love of our Savior and how God steps outside of our prejudices. And she showed us that we can be set free from our burdens and be used in a big way. Mary Magdalene will forever be an inspiration in the hearts of Christians around the world. Thank you for listening to this episode of Itinerant. If you enjoy the show, Take a moment to subscribe, rate, and share it on with a friend. Word of mouth is a powerful thing, and your recommendation is much appreciated. You can find out more about me and the show at itinerantpodcast.com. I co-host another podcast called The Reckless Pursuit. The Reckless Pursuit is a show dedicated to providing a safe place for Christians to ask unsafe questions. If you need a community of people where you can talk about your questions safely, we might just be your tribe. No matter your current church status or even religious views, all questions are welcome to help us grow and lay down our spiritual baggage. So if you feel like a spiritual nomad, we invite you to stop and rest. The journey is long, but the beauty lies within it. And until next time, Keep searching, you never know what mysteries lie ahead.